At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Do you want to be the top rated business in your area? Use NiceJob to gather two to three times more reviews and outshine your competitors. NiceJob's simple automated tools will save you time and money while getting you social proof to grow your business. New signups can get $50 off when they mention the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. If you're looking to grow your small business, visit NiceJob at NiceJob.com. This podcast is sponsored by the Master Group from east to west coast, blowing up across Canada. we got a ton more tool reviews coming for you guys with tools that can be purchased within their store. Check out master.ca. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. We're going to talk about something that I, I didn't think people were comparing until I had this conversation with Kazi Azir from Armstrong. Now, he's got a background within repping uh, products through a rep agency and one of those products was, was VRF so he has some extensive background repping and, and, and being involved with the VRF side of things. Now he's on the hydronic side of things and he's actually put together a webinar and a white paper which I can share in the podcast summary here for you guys to look at and he's compared VRF to hydronics as far as the install, the cost, the, 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 the lifespan and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to talk to, to Kazi about this during this podcast. And it's interesting. He brings up some interesting points and we have this kind of back and forth conversation, right? Um, cause there's lots of VRF fans out there that, that love it. And, and I can see why, because it, it kind of, it looks like it's going to be the next big thing. I mean, it's, it's already been around for 30, 40 years, right? Uh, but it's it's escalating in popularity, and and the hydronic side is also something that that rivals it too. So it was interesting that Kazi put this together and comparing the two, and we have this conversation. And anybody that that doesn't agree or 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 does agree, I would like to hear your comments and and your experiences through the course of your career. And to see if you've compared these two yourself and see what sort of benefits or, or, or non-benefits, for lack of a better term, that you've witnessed or observed um, with VRF and with hydronics utilized within the same sort of application. Anyway, let's get to Kaz, you guys. This is the HVAC Not All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Hey, Kazi, what's up? How are you? I'm doing good, Gary. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, thank you for getting with me. And I know you're a busy guy. You're in, in the car, actually. <laughs> so uh, we, we don't hide anything on this podcast. We reveal we reveal all. So you're in the car. Um, and that means you're a busy man. So I thank you for taking the time out of your night to, to get with us. 
Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm sure many of your uh, listeners have been in the exact same position, working out of the car, getting something done in between stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. Okay, so what we're going to do here is we're going to have this cool conversation that I didn't even really know um, people were comparing, and that is VRF to hydronics. Now, you've kind of done a webinar on this and outlined a, presenta- a presentation that I have um, that I'll be using during this conversation just to reference. Uh, but what I'll do also, too, is I will put a link to that webinar in the podcast summary so everybody can go check it out afterwards. Or I, I guess I could use, I could put the webinar and a link to the visual presentation as well, I think would be super helpful. So um, what I want you to do, Kazi, is just kind of introduce yourself, uh, what you do, because you're with Armstrong, what you do for Armstrong. And I find it interesting that you came from kind of the VRF realm, and now you're into hydronics. It's very interesting. So maybe give us a, a brief outline uh, on your background on VRF and how you made it into hydronics. Yeah, okay. So uh, uh, currently, I work with Armstrong Fluid Technology. Uh, we're a supplier for fluid management uh, and integrated controls. Um, and for them, I am the global offering manager for the plumbing division. So working under booster packages, uh, hydronomatic drawdown tanks. Um, before this, um, before you know, I saw the light and came to hydronic side, uh, I was a sales engineer for a rep firm out of the greater Toronto area. And, you know, one of the products I did rep, you know, along with boilers, chillers, cooling towers was VRF. So I was actually uh, the product specialist for VRF, supporting kind of all of the reps in Ontario with the the product side of things. So, you know, I'd like to think I've kind of seen, at least at this point, I've done kind of uh, a number of years on both sides and seen both sides of the coin and how one works versus the other. Cool. So I think the first point of your of your presentation is probably a good point to start off with is why compare hydronics to VRF? Uh, so basically, I mean, VRF's a new kid on the block, right? Um, I'd say since about the 2000s, VRF has really blown up. Um, started... 80s let's say uh which you know makes a pretty recent technology compared to hydronics that was uh ancient times you know second and third bc um and the vrf actually positions itself because hydronics is the dominant uh technology in uh building hvac systems uh as a direct competitor to um to hydronics uh saying you know they're cheaper to install cheaper to own um but you know, being on both sides, just like with any other technologies, there's more to it, right? More than the taglines. So I think it's important to really dissect uh, the claims to make sure uh, everyone understands, uh, has a thorough knowledge to really critique each technology and how it applies to each of their applications. Mm-hmm. Hey, so this is an interesting uh, f- thing that I-, I wanted to ask you about because I think you mentioned this on your on your audio version of the of the webinar, um, hydronic systems were first developed in the second or third century, like BC. Uh, how 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 was that? Like, what what did they use water for to to heat cool? Like, can you explain that? Uh, it was actually, if you can imagine, uh, steam vents. So uh, you know, back when it was um, stone walls, they would have 
geothermal essentially steam vents that are coming and they would literally dig passages within the stone for that steam to kind of travel into the various areas uh to to give it that um essentially what a what a steam heating and your rads would be doing right that's interesting that's that's crazy i didn't even know I, i'm gonna do some more digging on that because i didn't know that was a thing yeah yeah very very cool uh so so listen so let's let's get into sort of um the introduction of variable refrigerant flow like there's people out there that know what vrf is um but for you maybe you should explain it to us because every time somebody explains something even if we already know what it is we can pick up a little bit more knowledge so if you want to explain what vrf is first and then we can talk about how vrf and hydronics sort of um compare to each other through um using your your presentation as a guide okay so um vrf uh you know stands for variable refrigerant flow um there some people might have heard of it as vrv variable refrigerant volume uh which is like a trademark right similar to q-tips and cotton swabs uh, and basically what that does is if you're imagining uh heat pump or chiller right there's an evaporator there's a condenser uh in cooling mode you know once taking the heat out of your room the evaporator and then the condenser is rejecting it to the outside now imagine that same concept but instead of you know the same loop and take uh, in uh, both being in the same room and putting the energy or taking heat out of water, you put your evaporator in your living room and your condenser on your roof. And rather than taking heat out of the water, it's actually taking heat out of the air. So it's cooling your space um, by by doing the same thing like a chiller or heat pump would do. Uh, it's variable because it's gonna, just like variable speed technology, it'll modulate up and down based on the load. The refrigerants R410, although R410 is being phased out, and I'm sure uh, we'll talk about that more in depth later, uh, and flow because that flow is also being regulated, right? It's it's not just the temperature and the pressure, but how much flow uh, through expansion valves. Cool. So the, the thing that always intrigued me about VRF or VRV is how we can heat and cool simultaneously at the same time if we have if we have four rooms and let's say two of them wanted to be heated and two of them wanted to be cooled, but off the same system, how, how is that done? Like, how is this, how is this possible? <laughs> uh, it's pretty cool, actually. I mean, you think about it, I, I'm sure after I explain, it, you're going to be wondering, well, oh, that, that makes perfect sense. So basically if I got two of my rooms that need to be heated, um, like I was saying earlier, you, you would take the heat out and you'd reject it outside. And, you know, on, on a four pipe hydronic system, you'd have, uh, an, uh, an AC or something that'll cool the other two rooms, but you're putting in work to do both things, even though what, and what a VRF does is you'll take the heat out of the one room and instead of rejecting it out to the environment, you'll use it to heat the other room. You'll, you'll put, dump it into the room that needs the heating. Um, and what the condenser and compressor are going to do is going to look at the net difference, right? Maybe you have more heating than cooling, so you need a bit more heating load. It will add heat to the system. Or, you know, if you have more heating than, if you have more cooling than heating and you need to cool, it'll add more cooling impact or it'll, uh, extract more heat out, so, out of the room. So it'll do the net difference while also transferring the heat from space to space. Yeah, that's that's what the um, 
now I, I used to do city multis back in the day and, and I don't, I can't remember what they called the, the boxes, um, that you would install where this heat, um, I guess this recycling of heat or heat exchange would take place. So you, yeah. you need these sort of like collector boxes, right? Where this happens. Exactly. Like a, a branch selector box or uh mode. Control yeah. There, there we go. There's the name I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. The city multis, I think they call them the branch selector boxes. Yeah. So you'd have like six rooms or six evaporators connected to it. And it's, it's essentially a bunch of solenoid valves that'll redirect where that hot refrigerant or, or cold refrigerant, so to speak, is going to go. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So, so let's move on. Uh, let me get to this next point here that I, I found sort of interesting is the the first installed cost and you have schools and apartment buildings. Okay. And, um, VRF, and I'm going to ask you how, how you got, how you got to these numbers, obviously. So VRF for schools, you have $14 and 90 cents, uh, a square foot in hydronics, slightly lower at $11 and 90 cents a square foot. So how do we get to these numbers? So, I mean, I'm uh, to be frank, I'm, I didn't come up with the numbers, right? The This uh, presentation okay. you're looking at is based off a white paper that I wrote, um, which, you know, I can send you a copy or you can uh, may give access to everyone. So it's, it's all based on studies uh, that were done by, you know, people a whole lot smarter than me. The main thing is when you put in the the design considerations required for it, things start adding up, right? If you just do how much is a, a boiler, chiller, evaporators or let's say radiators and piping versus vrf it skews one way right but when you start looking at things like i need to add more airflow or i need to add you know extra capacity or i need to add a whole new system because i've i've reached a design limitation for vrf that uh hydronics doesn't have um or even like the even the tendering process when you start looking at actually what comes out of pocket once everything's said and done that's where, where those numbers really come together. All right, guys, time to take a break and pay the bills, as they say on radio. I know this is not radio, but we're gonna do the we're gonna do the, the pay the bills segment thing right here. So a few products. Refrigeration Technologies Viper Wipes. Very cool wipes. They clean your hands. I can attest to that 100 percent super well, using them for a couple years, but the best part is they contain moisturizers in them, not water so they don't dry your hands and your your hands feel a lot smoother and and moisturized after you're done cleaning them and you'll see once you use them for the first time you feel it right away like first use um the other cool part is because they don't contain water you can clean your tools with them so check out the viper wipes from refrigeration technologies dan foss has released six e-lessons refrigeration fundamentals now you want to learn refrigeration you got to learn from the grassroots level basic stuff and then build your knowledge from there so i'm going to leave a link to that in the podcast summary so you guys can go check that out sign up and learn about refrigeration so uh during the week paul schubert from rls sent me a picture and now going off the top of my head this is a large 45 fitting i think it was two and one eighth i think okay i might have the, i might have the side size wrong but it makes no difference because what the incredible part about the image was was there is there was a fitting there's a piece of pipe pressed to it and on the other side of that piece of pipe there was a copper cap braced to it 
Now, this thing was pressurized to over 2,000 PSI. I don't remember the exact number, but it was over 2,000 PSI. And the cap, the copper cap, busted open at the top. It failed before the fitting did, before the joint did, which is super, super cool. So this technology, RLS press, it's still uh, debatable. It's still polarizing. A lot of people on the fence. But I'm going to tell you right now, if my prediction is correct, is correct. I was going to say right and correct at the same time. I said correct. If my prediction is correct, guess what? It's going to disrupt the market. It's going to disrupt the market strongly over the next few years in the in the pipe fitting game. So check that stuff out if you're interested. Okay. Um, the next thing I want to talk about: Yellow Jacket. Uh, they have introduced a hard hydrocarbon charging kit for basically charging up systems or recovering from systems that contain flammable refrigerants there's a little mini scale there's a little holder for the the hydrocarbon bottle there's a, a pinch off tool a gauge some hoses a bunch of stuff in that kit that will make your life easier working on this type of equipment now keep in mind that because these are flammable you're gonna have to take precautions okay you're gonna have to use nitrogen if if you're brazing to to purge out any combustibles in there use a fan or 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 go outside when you when you're brazing just so you don't have any issues or, or if you have to do it inside use a fan to move the air around so you're not um concentrating anything in the area so be careful guys but check out that kit from yj because it looks to be super cool for this exact purpose let's get back to the rest of the podcast Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, I mean, you, you tell me like in, in your, in what you've seen, uh, in the past and from the VRF side and the hydronic side, what do you think if, if this was a, this was a brand new build, obviously the, the the numbers from the study are there, but if this was a brand new build and and we could walk in and, and we could design a system for VRF or design a hydronic system, what what is the starting point? I'd like to know what the starting point is f- for VRF to to design, and then for, for hydronics to design. Like, what's the difference between them? Because I think that would matter when somebody's going to approach a project on the difference between how to design, um, and then we can go on to to the install after that. Okay, um, I would say your first thing is going to be. Uh, what the building load is, right? And and that's regardless of whether it's VRF or hydronics. Get an idea of your total load, mm-hmm. your heating load, your cooling load, and your diversity factor throughout the building, right? Outside versus uh, perimeter versus internal, um, south-facing versus north-facing. What? How much capacity are you really looking for in a system? Um, after that, I would say out just outside temperatures um if you're in you know i'm out of toronto um it gets pretty cold in the winter uh if you're in a place that has cold winters there's a there's a big drop in capacity um that you need to factor in and you need to factor in for it with um with additional like installed capacity right so I believe it's around, let me see, I think it was the 30 degrees outdoor temperature wet bulb point where everything starts going down. I think that's from, you know, one of the manufacturers. Um, So if you look at like at five degrees Fahrenheit, how much you have, 
versus what you designed to at 60%, you're looking at about 70% of your capacity that's uh, only available. So you have to design with an additional 30%. Um, which is going to obviously impact your cost of, of your capital cost, right? Yeah, so I agree with you on, on finding out what the peak outside temperature could be for the area because I know a lot of times it's, it's, it's the, the, the equipment's designed for sort of like the average almost. Like, I, I don't know, because I've, I've seen it where we hit some extreme temperatures, cold or hot, and then you go into buildings that they say it's that they're cold or in the winter or they're hot in the summer, but the machine is running like balls to the wall. It can't do anymore. It's because it's not designed for that specific outdoor temperature and it just can't keep up. So I a hundred percent agree with you that you need to really look at outside temperatures when you're designing and, and, and use that as, as a tool to say, Hey, well, are we going to design for the average or are we going to design for like peak, even though we might not hit peak very much, but when we do, there's there's people that get pissed off, right? And and of create service, and and then you kind of kind of look like you kind of look like a fool if you put it in because the pe- person's saying to you, "Well, I paid you to put this in, and now I'm cold or now I'm hot. So what's the deal?" And are you, what are you going to say? Oh, I put in the capacity that couldn't meet the demand. Like I, I don't know. But anyway, move on with with more of what you were discussing there. Yeah, no. And you know, you brought up a good point. So oftentimes, at least in my experience, you are designing to the worst case scenario, right? Uh, Like your ASHRAE design day condition, about one, what occurs 1% of the time. Now, the problem, though, is VRF is so new that not everyone is, you know, they'll find exactly what they need at their load, right? They'll, they'll know that the coldest day is going to be minus 35, let's say, uh, and I need, you know, a million BTUs, whatever. Um, and then they'll go to their VRF supplier and say, so I need a million BTUs. Give me, give me equipment that can give me um, a million BTUs of heating and 700,000 of cooling. The VRF guy is going to do the selection, uh, and most often times, um, you know, the the initial selection is going to be done with um, with your average conditions. But when you start factoring it in, things start sizing up, right? So, at a budget stage, you might get one. At a actual tender stage, you might get another, and it falls onto the engineer to make sure when they're specifying that they're saying, you know, a million BTUs at minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit. But how often do you really see tenders or jobs that are, you know, at least a tender job that have specs to that degree? So, you know, you you have to question how much capacity your load's going to put out. Um, but you know, once you've factored in outside temperature, total load and diversity, then it's a question of how big is your building and how much piping are you going to really need? Um, you know, hydronics piping, there is no limit. You, we, we have buildings connected to central heating plants, you know, through N-Wave and to the middle of the lake here, um, because you just add more pumps and you add more, um, tertiary and secondary lines uh, on vrf you're looking at around just over three thousand feet of total piping um anything more than that and you got issues with oil return uh for the compressor so now you need a secondary system so does your piping and how you arrange it um allow you to work with a single system or do you need to split it up 
And if you do split it up, are you doing top floors, bottom floors? Are you doing inside versus outside? Well, then you're not going to get the heat recovery you want. So um, you got to be very particular, especially with piping, because it's, you know, total piping just one. I think there was like 15, 10, 15 different restrictions that you got to keep in mind, like condenser to your first um, evaporator distance. Um, is your evaporator above or below your condenser? What's the difference between your first evaporator and your second evaporator? And it, it, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. I mean, I did a project where we were literally 4 a.m. ruler on, you know, printed out engineering drawings and we're measuring this piping all night and converting these numbers just to make sure this thing works. And then when we find out it doesn't work, it's how do I change one thing? Well, I change and not screwed up another thing. So it's, it's chaos. And uh, when you, when you get to a big system where you're approaching those limits, it's, it's, you know, stress needs to be factored in along with the equipment costs of getting a second system. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Like it's, I've, I've actually seen an engineer get fired because of a project that was done in a server room because he, I guess he didn't design it properly. Like apparently the, there were seven machines in, in this room, seven, seven, um, like servers, seven. Yeah. Like, no, well, seven, seven Lieberts. Okay. Um, okay, and then they wanted to take four out. They wanted to take, they wanted to take four out and put four brand new ones in and the engineer apparently said that these four will hold the room and you can shut the other three off and they put in controllers to to lead lag them so they would only have four on at the same time but when you put on 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 the four um and left them the temperature in the server room kept creeping up creeping up creeping up and this guy was back looking at stuff this and that and, and it ended up just not being size right and and apparently the guy got let go from the company. I don't know if it was because <laughs> because of that specific job, but it seemed that way because they were they were pretty upset that they had spent all this money on on these upgrades and they were told it could hold the room, but it, it couldn't. So I understand the stress of getting things right from the get go and not screwing up because when you do screw up, someone spent a lot of money. Guess what? If the onus is on you, I mean that's that's a lot of stress, right, Kazi? Well, exactly. Right. And, and I think that was like the main point of like me writing a white paper, doing the webinar. It's like, you know, it's new technology and I'm not saying it's, you know, hydronics all the way, forget VRF. I'm just saying you need to know what you're designing and understand all the things that aren't on the flashy brochures and commercials so that you're not in that situation, right. Where, where you, where you designed a system and thought, thought it met capacity and it doesn't do shit. Mm-hmm. So what, what about the, the install? I, I, I guess we kind of touched on a little bit there, but the install of a hydronic system versus a, a VRF, which one, I, I know you're saying you're up till four in the morning measuring and, and I was presuming, I'm presuming you're talking about VRF, but which one poses the, the, I, I guess the heart for lack of a better term, the harder install or the more complicated install. Uh, honestly, definitely VRF, definitely VRF, right? And you got to factor in when I say definitely VRF, I'm also talking about, you know, with consideration to the fact that you have a system 
that maybe 10, 20, a handful of installers have really done big installations on. Um, and, you know, obviously their prices are going to refer to that. And majority of people haven't versus hydronics where you've seen anything and everything that you're going to come across, right? You, you've, it's just such an old technology that people have learned all the things when it comes to installing. But um, on VRF, you know, just the idea that you have to use uh, better, a higher grade of copper, right? Um, are you using soft copper or hard copper, right? Factoring all of that in, um, the, the added ventilation requirements, right? The added equipment you need, because before your ASHRAE 15 only applied to your mechanic room with the chiller, now it applies to your whole building where refrigerants go in. When you factor all of that in, I, I would definitely say VRF is uh, poses more risk and therefore requires more uh, installation costs just to mitigate those risks and make sure everything is done up to par by people that know exactly what they're doing. They're also charging more to do it. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what ASHRAE 15 is? Yeah, okay. So ASHRAE 15 is basically... Um, a, a safety code, right, to, to for about refrigerant. And what it essentially come, boils down to is what is the total volume, uh, amount of refrigerant I have in a system, and what is the smallest room, the smallest volume of room that, or space, let's say, that that refrigerant can leak into. So it limits the, the size of a room or the total uh, capacity of refrigerant uh, in a building by taking the worst case scenario if all of that refrigerant goes into one room how uh you know what is the lethality of it right it's based on the ld50 so you have to design around that right before it was you put a louver into your mechanical room everything's good right you get the ventilation so you're not worried about all of it being trapped inside uh with vrf it's it's spread throughout your entire building right so it's in every room um if you have a full system that's dealing with a little mechanical closet well what if someone's in that little mechanical closet or that server it closet and everything leaks right you you have to there's design considerations to be made to account for it gotcha okay and this, that's interesting that you brought that up because on the last podcast, we had uh, three guests on and we were talking about different things within the industry. Basically, the state of the industry is what the, the podcast title was called. And we talked about that. We talked about VRF and and, and one of the, the, the techs on, Andrew, he said that he didn't like VRF for that reason because the, the fact that it could leak out somewhere in, in like a room where people are sleeping or whatever and, and if it's a big leak or something right um that that could be a, a, a situation and you talked about this in your webinar as well um when i was trying to yeah. listen to it in between all the shenanigans that happen at work that you were talking about how if if a hydronic system leaks you're gonna know it because there's gonna be like like a water flood. like pouring yeah. out of stuff and it's gonna cause a lot of damage yeah you're, you're gonna have a flood and, and it's going to cause a lot of damage um, and you're going to know exactly where it is. But you could have a refrigerant leak that's that's substantial, um, but not massive. And, and you're not going to know where it is. You're going to have to go find it. Uh, that That's one of the, 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 the differences between the two, right? Yeah. So if 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 hydronic system leaks, yeah, you're, you're flooding, you get damaged. But 
VRF, your best case scenario is that, you know, your system shuts down because you've just leaked so much, but no other health concerns come up, mm-hmm. right? R410s, colorless, odorless, it's it's like carbon monoxide, right? It, it pushes the air out of the room. Um, VRF's new, so I don't know if there's any history, but uh, I know for chiller rooms, there, you know, there have been people found uh, unconscious in rooms because there was they were working on a compressor, it started leaking, and to the point yeah. that I believe, like the United States Air Force doesn't allow uh, VRF to be installed because it's well, not only can it leak and you won't know, but finding it is is a whole other thing. I think that's really. The, the future of VRF is trying to figure out how do I detect a leak and then before too much leaks and also how do I find where that leak is? Yeah, that's, yeah, that, those are, those are two major considerations that I, I don't think people really stop and, and think or consider um, when they're working on it or, or about to install it or design it. So that, that's, that's, that's a really good point. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So what about something else in your presentation here is sort of like the, the, the lifespan, I believe you, you had mentioned something about the lifespan of, of the two or, or the cost potentially over the lifespan. Yeah. Like the, the total installed cost. Um, so basically, or, or the, the cost, the cost of running or, or, or maintenance over the lifespan as well is, is a good thing to touch on as well, but go on with what you're going to say. Yeah. So, I mean, there was actually a really good study done. Uh, I believe it was in the ASHRAE headquarters, um, in one of these Atlanta, I'm thinking, but I could be wrong. Uh, and basically what they did was they put one floor, uh, that two floors or two areas equal loads. And one of them was, uh, VRF and the other was geothermal heat pumps. So hy- essentially hydronics versus VRF. Uh, and they found that um, there was anywhere between 60 to as much as 85% energy, total energy savings when comparing the two systems uh, with the heat pump consuming less because you, you factor in uh, the fact that you need, um, you need higher capacities uh, when when it gets cold outside, you have larger, you have more efficiency losses when it gets colder outside. The bigger your building is, the more of your and the percentage of your energy is being used to move the refrigerant around the space instead of actually um, heating and cooling a room. So the usable energy, um, you put it all together and the, the cost goes down or uh, on the hydronic side. Then you start looking at your maintenance cost and, you know, you got to factor in just like I said, how much specialized people do you have? Um, and oftentimes, I think, you know, three years ago when I was in VRF, every VRF is a black box, right? If I need a new compressor, I'm not, it's not like a chiller where, well, you know, one price is too much, I'll go to another manufacturer, a, a chiller is a chiller, or a, a compressor is a compressor, a valve is a valve, or, you know, you, you put it together and you can swap out. Anyone can do the work if they have the licensing. With VRF, you know, if, if I got that Mitsubishi where I have that LG, I need to go to Mitsubishi. I need to go to LG. I need to get their certified parts. Uh, controls, I, I can't swap a sensor for a sensor. I need to get it from them. And I need the people that are licensed by the factory to work on that specific manufacturer's system to do the work for me. So you put it all together and the, the total cost of ownership 
uh, for VRF, you know, 10, 15 years versus hydronics that are 20, 25 years, you're, you're better off looking at the hydronics, right? Most of the time. Interesting. So what did you say that you, you, you had a, a lifespan range there? Can you repeat that, please, if you don't mind? Yeah. Yeah. So VRF, um, yeah. So hydronics, we're looking at about 20, 25 years, depending on, on, you know, how your maintenance schedule, making sure what it, you take care of it properly. And also how, like what the actual piece of equipment is. Uh, when you're looking at VRF, you're looking at about 10 to 15 years or so. Um, and 15 is pretty generous. And again, I, depending okay. on how you maintain it. How you I, take care I, of it. I can attest. Yeah, I, I can attest to around the 15 year mark. Actually, that this is uh, this is a, a system that I installed about 15 or 16 years ago, that's going to be decommissioned, um, probably the end of this month or, or next month, because uh, a, a new system was put in. Because uh, we were starting to and I think one of the main reasons is the the advancement of technology as well because there was there was some parts we couldn't get there was one of the controllers we couldn't get anymore that went on the wall and and the customer just decided like if if i can't get parts or the parts are going to start to dwindle out because of the age um and they're not producing those parts anymore i i might need to upgrade so it was I would say this this is about the 16 year mark and it's going to be it's going to be decommissioned. So, I mean, yeah, I, I I can see what you're saying with the range there and I I've seen hydronic systems in place for years. Uh the piping anyway. Maybe not yeah. the boilers or the pumps, but the, the piping. The piping stays and then you can swap out boilers, you can swap out pumps, so on and so forth. Um so so yeah, you you're going to be doing some swapping through the through the lifespan of the equipment or, but a lot of the times that piping for hydronic can stay in place where sometimes the piping for the hydronic or or the 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 VRF can't depending on the oil and the condition and the size of the piping and all that kind of stuff right yeah uh one of the things actually that's uh, i mentioned earlier was was refrigerant right r410s being phased out so I don't remember the phase out date and I mean, it's, it's all politics plays a role in it, but how do we know the, the new refrigerant that's being investigated uh, is going to be compatible, right? As far as I've heard, no one has one. They found one that's good for the ozone, but it's flammable. So that, you know, nothing's perfect yet, but it's like what happened about what, 10, 15 years ago with your fridges, the, the old refrigerant in your fridges became like gold. Uh, and then your chillers became like gold because no one's making it anymore. And you either have to buy yeah, a R, brand new. R12, I think you're. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you gave us, you gave us your time. You gave us um, some good comparisons there between hydronics and VRF. So if there's anything else you want to throw in there, Kazi, go ahead and, the, and then we'll call it for the night. Okay. I, I, honestly, I mean, I appreciate the time and, you know, thanks to everyone for listening. Um, what I would say is, you know, the main takeaway, especially if, and if you have more questions, you want to, you know, feel free to reach out to myself or, you know, read the white paper, the presentation. Uh, it's, it's, no one is saying hydronics is 
the the best thing since sliced bread. No one is saying the VRF is the best thing since sliced bread, or you know, or at least I'm saying VRF isn't the best thing since sliced bread, right? Everything's got the right applications, and it's really understanding what you need to consider and the things you got to keep in mind and how it's going to impact the decisions you make in the system you install. Not only right now. Uh, not for just the cap, just equipment, but the total installed cost and the total lifecycle cost. There are sometimes VRF is better. Um, my experience has been Hydronics offers more versatility and flexibility, so more often it's better. But you know there are definitely scenarios where VRF is better. So just understand and ask the right questions. Um, ask your VRF suppliers, right? Hold them accountable, just like you would for Hydronics when Hydronics first started taking over. Cool. Awesome. All right, man. Well, I appreciate your time tonight, Kazi, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you on the next one, man. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Gary. Take care. Thanks, Kazi. Thank you for the info. Thank you for your time and thank you for putting together the webinar and also your report, your white paper that I will share uh, with the audience. It will be in the podcast summary. Now, if you guys have, have done VRF or VRV and hydronics, and you have seen a difference in cost to install and cost to maintain over time, I'd like to get your feedback as well. It's nice to get feedback from different corners of the universe to form an opinion, right? You really got to take information from every source you can before you run with, with one thing. And Kazi's put the time and effort into, into putting something together for us so we can actually use it as a reference. So if you've got experience, I'd love to hear your feedback as well. Let me know, reach out. You can reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook, or Gary at HVACKNowItAll.com. Whatever you like, or, or check out the app, the HVAC Know It All app. We've just had an influx of, of uh, new techs come in, and, and we're building up. We're having solid professional discussion on there. So if you guys are interested, check that out too. But in the meantime, guys, thank you, Kazi. Thank you to the Master Group once again for the sponsorship. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.